Hey there everyone and welcome back to another episode of MedTalks. I'm Sahil Nachani and I'm a junior doctor working in the UK. Now so far in this series, The Junior Doctor's Guide, we've given you a lot of information on how to do normal FY1 stuff. So how to document, how to do a ward round, how to assess unwell patients. But in this episode, I'd like to share with you all a personal experience which proved to be very challenging but also very beneficial. So I'm going to talk to you about my first time assessing an unwell patient during my first on-call shift in general surgery. So at last, my first on-call shift in surgery had arrived. Somehow, I had escaped on-call shifts for the first few weeks whilst everyone had been thrown into the deep end. My rotor coordinator must have liked me. I was around three weeks into my normal day job of urology, so surgery as a specialty wasn't completely alien to me, especially given that urology and general surgery share a ward in my hospital. Nevertheless, it was still a daunting thought that at 5pm, all surgical problems on the ward would be my responsibility. Now, the way a day surgical on-call shift works is that we do our normal shift of 8 to 5 with our usual team. So for me, I was still with my urology team, doing the urology ward round and then going through all of the jobs accumulated from that ward round. The only difference is that we have to clerk in any GP referrals during the day. So if a patient goes to see their GP and the GP feels that they are acutely unwell and need to be admitted to the hospital, we get bleeped by the GP through a switchboard and we have to decide whether we agree with the GP that the patient needs hospital admission or not. Now, as an FY1, completely new to the game, you'd be pretty brave if you rejected a GP admission. Okay, so on that day, I did the normal urology shift. I did not have to clerk in any patients, which was quite unusual. And another benefit is that usually from 11am onwards, there is an advanced nurse practitioner who clerks in the GP referrals. So, it was nearing 5pm and my heart rate was slowly rising. I was clock watching and becoming more and more anxious, trying desperately not to show it to my teammates. It reached 5pm and the day staff started to leave the wards, all wishing me luck before they left. And to add to the nerves, I had two third year medical students who were shadow shadowing me for this on-call shift. And just as I was hoping that it would be a quiet shift, bzzz, the bleep goes off at 10 past 5 and it's from my usual surgical ward, which I know very well by now. So I take a deep breath and internally voice, here we go. I call the medical students and wander over to see the patient. I enter the patient's bay and pretty much freeze after seeing the state of the patient. Several vomit bowls bedside, extremely pale in colour, continuous retching, in summary just looking really awful to put it technically. The patient has an NG tube in place and all of a sudden I can feel about 100 eyes staring at me waiting for me to do something doctor-like. Now, we've all been taught about the A to E assessment of an acutely unwell patient and have practiced it countless times during medical school, during OSCE revision. However, this was the first proper experience that I had in dealing with an acutely unwell patient who was a real person and actually looked unwell and not just a mannequin. So, this A to E went out of the window and I started to panic. My first thought was, I need some help. I don't know how to deal with this on my own. Now, escalating and calling for senior help is part of the assessment. However, this was a bit premature. Looking back, my assessment of the patient was incomplete and I rushed to get help too early. As a result, my SBAR handover to the surgical SHO was messy. 
However, I think that she understood that I was worried, so thankfully she soon appeared on the ward to save my sorrows. She also advised me to contact the registrar if I was concerned about the patient, so I did just that, and another messy handover later, the registrar also appeared. Together, the SHO and the registrar made a plan for the patient. It turns out that the patient was quite unwell, and so early senior intervention was necessary. The patient had an NG tube in place, however, was still vomiting. This is an indication that the NG tube was not correctly sighted, or was previously correctly sighted but has now moved out of place. So the reason that the patient had an NG tube in the first place was due to bowel obstruction, and the signs of bowel obstruction are abdominal pain, vomiting, abdominal distension, and lack of bowel movement. And the management follows the drip and suck method, which involves intravenous fluids and an NG tube to decompress the bowel. So what was done for the patient? It's always useful to take a fresh set of blood tests from the patient when they become acutely unwell to see if anything else is going on. Now vomiting can cause loss of fluids and can deplete electrolytes. So as the patient was vomiting, antiemetics were prescribed and given to stop this from happening. A chest x-ray was requested to see if the NG tube was in the correct place. So the rest of the shift was fairly uneventful. Other jobs that I had to complete included prescribing IV fluids, putting a cannula in a patient, and at the end of the shift, the SHO came up to me and said, well done, you handled that well. Surprised, I said thank you, but I knew she was just being supportive. Okay, so what did I learn from that experience? Well, firstly, do not panic. I know it sounds easy to say, but trust me, it really helps. Secondly, get all of the information you can first before seeing the patient. So this means read through the patient's clinical notes, find out why they're in hospital, see what the last entry was during the morning ward round. If you can, look at the patient's latest blood tests to see if there are any abnormalities which may be contributing to the current situation. Also have a look at the patient's drug chart and the fluid balance of the patient. Now you have an overall picture of them, go and see them systematically go through the A to E. As long as the patient is not crashing and about to arrest, you do have more time than you think. Whenever the patient looks awful, it seems as though they are about to drop. However, trust me, you have more time than it seems. So go through the A to E, do a thorough assessment and try to think of what might be going on. Is there anything else you can do before calling the senior? In this case, the patient was vomiting, so give them an antiemetic and see if that helps. Take a fresh routine set of bloods. This is always useful. Look through the drug chart. Can you identify anything that may be causing the patient to vomit, such as opiates? Speak to the nurses. Ask them what they think might be going on. The nurses are the most invaluable member of the team. They spend the most time with the patient. They are more experienced than you are at this, at this stage. And so they may advise you on what to do. They may have been in this situation before, and therefore they may know what is going on and what needs to be done. And once you've explored all of the above, then you can contact a senior. Now you have a proper S-bar handover and can inform your senior of what you've done so far. So I think the most useful learning point for me was realising that I had more time than I thought. Now at medical school, when we learn about emergencies and acutely unwell patients, it seems that life and death are only a few seconds apart. However, most of the time, this is not the case in reality, and that is something that's stuck with me ever since.
So thank you so much for listening. I hope you found this episode useful. Please leave some feedback for us. Any feedback is welcomed. Subscribe to the podcast for more episodes on junior doctor life and let us know if you'd like to talk about particular topics. And we'll see you in the next one. All the best.